Hello and welcome to another edition of Editing Aloud. There's a lot going on panel uh, in the country at the moment. Sir Ramaphosa is all over the place. He was visiting the king last week of uh, the Zulus, King's uh, Goodwill's Zuelatini, to uh, apologize, according to some reports, uh, to simply explain, according to others, why, um, uh, why the government wasn't going to expropriate any land from uh, traditional leaders. Um, and uh, he's also had a blow this morning, since business day, uh, uh, because um, his, ab his ability to clean out the National Prosecuting Authority has been compromised by a judgment in the uh, Supreme Court which restores um, both uh, Nongobo Jiba and Lawrence Mkwebe to the, um, to the bar. And I was just wondering, uh, Sukunati, whether you wonder, whether you think um, he's sort of backpedaling, Cyril. Is he on the back foot constantly? When, was, when does he get started? When is he able to start being, you know, in charge of the country? The biggest problem with Cyril is he, nobody knows what it stands for. And that will always come back to haunt him. At some point, someone has to throw a line and say, this is the direction, follow me. And he's not known to do that. I have known him for quite a few years, and he's, I, I promise you, I do not know what he stands for. And that is coming uh, now to show in, in his leadership or lack thereof. What was he doing uh, in KwaZulu Natal? Uh, why did he feel the need to, uh, to talk or apologize or explain to, uh, to, to the Zulu king what the, the, the land thing is? Uh, the government has a program. Next time people uh, throw stones at him, is he going to jump and run over there as well? But clearly he was spooked by what had happened with uh, Contralesa and the EFF. And then obviously there was the, the Zulu king held his in Daba um, uh, on land and made threatening noises. I mean, if you were running the country, you've got to calm that sort of talk down because it's a dangerous place. And you calm that sort of talk down by leading, not by co-towing to every little chief what does uh, karen in Morn, a democracy. what is what what does the the um jiba judgment or ruling mean does uh, are she and Mkweba now allowed to go back to work at the npa or does the npa have to invite them back what is their standing national prosecuting authority has gone on record and said there's no legal impediment towards non-corporal jiba or lawrence Mkwebe returning to work however there is an outstanding judgment that is going to be appealed in the North Gauteng High Court in August, which was a consequence of this GCB dispute, in which three judges, there was a split decision, it was two judges in favor, one judge again, as we see manifesting in the SEA as well, yeah. basically said that President Jacob Zuma, as he then was, was irrational in the light of the four different judges that have been made, judgments that have been made, uh, making certain adverse findings against non global Jeepa to not have instituted a inquiry into her and Lawrence Mkwebi, and essentially directing the president to do so. They also found that the court uh, that Sean Abrams was irrational to withdraw the criminal charges against Nongobojiba in relation to perjury and fraud. And that, of course, concerned the Johan Boysen averments that she had lied under oath about the evidence that was before her before she made a decision to charge him or authorize him being charged with racketeering. And who brought that case? That was brought by Freedom Under Law. And essentially what the court said in that case was that we will wait, we will suspend this order imposing now Cyril Ramaphosa, mm -hmm. then Jacob Zuma, 
telling him to institute an inquiry and we'll hold off on the Sean Abrams aspect of instituting these perjury charges until the GCB matter is finalized in its entirety. Now we don't know if the GCB is going to have the appetite to go to the constitutional court on this, particularly given the clear racial divisions in the court's ruling, yeah. the kind of, uh, you know, kind of What was it, two black judges v. one? It was three black judges versus two white ones. And right. that's, that's, you know, the, the rationale, the split down the middle, the middle and the kind of very, very opposed judgments in this. I think the GCB, given the kind of talk that's come from a lot of quarters and given the averments of these judges, that the GCB in fact misdirected them itself and so did the judge in pursuing Nongkobo Fujiba for, uh, for misconduct rather than they said incompetence, I think the GCB might be a bit hesitant about mm. being seen to pursue her. That being said, this North Gauteng High Court judgment that's, or this case that's going to be appealed next month is going to be pivotal. And we've spoken to President Ramaphosa's office, and he's, they basically said at this point they don't have a position on whether or not they will institute that inquiry if that appeal bid fails. But this is not, this, you know, Nunkorba Jeeba's own lawyer. You've lost me a minute. You, what, what North Gauteng High Court is going to, judgment is going to be appealed? This is the judgment in terms of President Ramaphosa being compelled to institute an inquiry right. into Nongorbo Jiba. Right. Now the NPA and Jiba are appealing or attempting to appeal that judgment next month. The NPA as well? Yes. Right. And Sean Abrams has also gone under oath, basically said, you know, he didn't believe that he should have to institute these criminal charges. Yes. This is not the end of the road. This judgment could throw Ramaphosa a lifeline. At this point, however, he's saying, his office is saying that they haven't taken a firm line on whether they want to institute that inquiry or not. But it is, you know, this this matter of Nongkobo Jiba has es essentially split the judiciary down the middle. And it's interesting to note that in the Motley judgment, which is the case that will be appealed, um, it was two judges and one, uh, you know, who were in favor of action being taken against Nongkobo Jiba and one judgment who, judge who was absolutely adamant that it shouldn't happen. Would, can I just ask you one more question on this? Would Nongkobo Jiba's return to the NPA serve Jacob Zuma in any way, given his upcoming uh, court cases or his trial? One of the accusations that was made against Nongorbo Jiba was in light of the uh, spy tapes litigation, which she was accused of essentially holding on to the spy tapes and the transcripts. Um, as a mechanism of frustrating the DA's legal action. And there was certain, Judge Navsa in that ruling by the SEA was scathing and said that, you know, as an advocate, she had seemingly gone out of her way to frustrate the court process in terms of determining, you know, what ultimately the DA's successful argument that the decision to withdraw the Zuma charges was irrational. Um, she has been seen as a Zuma loyalist. She has been seen as someone who, in the Richard and Bluely matter, someone who is a self-proclaimed Zuma loyalist who wrote that extraordinary letter to the president where he promised to assist him, I think it was in the ANC's Mangalung conference, yeah. um, that she seemed to have been aligned to Jacob Zuma. But on a practical level, does she have any role to play now that this case mm -hmm. is in court, now that Sean Abrams has said, yes, I will pursue and these, the, this case? I don't think so. I don't think there's any real, you know, anything really profound that she could do to change the course of that particular ruling. And of course, we now see um, the SEA in its judgment, its majority judgment yesterday, saying that she really didn't do anything that was worthy of, of established misconduct in terms of any of those cases. Mm -hmm. Of course, the other two judgments, uh, Judge Eric Leach and Funda Mava, radically disagreeing with that, that particular argument. Lucanio, Nyanda, what, what, what does Cyril do now? I mean, you know, Sikonati makes a point that he, that he 
that his leadership is weak, but he's got to make some calculation. He's, he's been around long enough to, to understand the dynamics around him. Um, does he simply wait until next year's election so that he can get a mandate of his own um, and, then, and then move against all the sort of opponents? Even then, presumably, it would be hard to get rid of the, you know, or to clear out, to clean out um, the NPA. I mean, if you I can't do it now, what would, what would yeah. be the what would be different then? I, I, that's be my, I, mean, I think you've made the point before that maybe like they could have considered an earlier election, which obviously now has been ruled out. Yeah. I don't know what difference that would make because he would still need as all these people that he needs now to stay in office or to go to the next election. He probably need their support to go into that election. So even if, so even if he does win, there, there, there'll be a sense that he owes them something. I mean, I mean, I think the point Sigonati makes, he just has to start leading on all these issues. I mean, it seems like this government sort of, sort of blinks at every, at every turn it gets. Sort of, look at the ESCOM thing. Like, it starts with like a zero offer, and then one day of strikes, government intervenes, then in the of zero becomes 6%. Yeah, on, well, on, and, on, and, on, on land issue, same thing. Yeah. I mean, they seem, I mean, they, 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 I think that when, when that ESCOM story came, well, I think one of the unions accused ESCOM of being like a Thatcher, like, right? And then, yeah. then you think like, but this government looks like it's very much foretending all the time. Like, like I, I think it needs to turn that narrative and show that it's, it's actually able to lead. I mean, this has been going on for yeah. how long? John and Maria, I mean, at ESCOM, we've, we've moved past 6%. I think we're going past 7% at the moment when yeah. I last, when I last heard and and there was still no resolution of it. Um, this started off with ESCOM not having any money whatsoever to pay in, new, in, 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 in wage increases. Suddenly we're talking 7%. I mean, what happens, to, what happens to ESCOM's ability to raise money in the markets if it settles well above inflation? I mean, surely that would damage it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think they're kicking the can down the road. They're just yeah. postponing the problem because there's cl it's clear that they can't afford this. Um, and that they're usually overstaffed. So I suppose we're in for a long period of uh, labor instability at ESCOM, um, and this, you know, this will pacify the unions for now, but we're certainly not going to see a, f a final But at some stage, somebody solution. has to sit down with the union and say, look, we've got to cut the workforce by however many thousand people. What happens, what happens, to, what happens then? No, I think we'll see more boilers getting, you know, uh, the same kind yeah. of intimidation that we saw when they offered a 0% increase. And, and I think that's why it's going to be interesting. Again, we're going to have to see leadership from not only from, from Soro Maposa, but also from, I see the unions requested a meeting with Praveen yeah. Godan. Um, you know, we, there's going to have to be but tough decisions made. Is there a way? It's a bit yeah. like Theresa May. She has no way out of the Brexit yeah. hole in which she is now trapped. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean... You say Cyril is, is, a, is, a, is a poor leader, and I think you know, people are beginning to wonder you know, whether or not you may, may or, not, or not be correct. But there has to be an, an end to this. I mean, unless we're all talking about the end of the country as a successful state, unless we get, are, to, are sort of heading you know, um, uh, unbreaked into a, a rescue by the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank, this has got to stop surely somewhere. If, if this is how we will carry on and govern the country, then of course we'll hand it over to the IMF. Uh, it has to stop. Someone has to draw the line in the sand. Uh, the, I said uh, the last time I was here, ESCOM needs to, to quickly resolve this, this, this wage increase matter because the real big battle is the one ahead about job cuts. They need to be ready 
for, for, for a serious confrontation yeah. with the trade unions. Look, and how you do that is by getting ready, stockpiling and yeah. automating everything as, as much as you can so that you don't need uh, the people who are being intimidated. That's not going to happen. That's others. not going to happen without a hell of a fight there. Karen Morn, I just want to ask you quickly, Jacob Zuma, um, or the Zuma family generally. Do Zuma Zuma was in court uh, on Monday, and I think he's in court later this week, perhaps tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes. Um, is he now trapped inside South Africa? Can, what is the likelihood of him leaving without trials being completed? Well, he's handed in both of his passports, so he can't get out of the country. He also needs to get the, uh, the permission of the investigating officer uh, to travel outside of the province. But what we saw in the Estina matter, for example, was that uh, many of the people involved in that, including Varun Gupta, the nephew of the two brothers, yeah. handed in his passport and then successfully put an application in the magistrate's court, not once but twice, to go on these excursions, I think, to India or, and yeah. or Dubai for religious pilgrimages and or family occasions. So I suspect what happened is that the same law firm that is representing the Guptas, who are now representing Dudazani Zuma, said to him, listen, you're going to have a fight on the passport issue, hand it over, we'll go to court uh, in the magistrate's court if we need to try and get you permission to, to leave go outside the country. He's gone on affidavit and said essentially he does business in Russia, um, among other places, and he yeah. needs to be able to leave in order to, to, to do... Would he be, would he, at what stage does he need to be persuaded to turn state's witness against the Guptas in a wider, in a wider trial? Well, if one considers he's being represented by the Guptas' lawyers, mm. and he dropped his previous lawyer, Gary Mazahan, in the culpable homicide matter as well, I think that that was quite unlikely. Mm. The fact remains is he continues to be funded mm. um, largely by the Guptas. They are funding his legal representation. As they are, it seems now, uh, uh, Jacob Zuma's lawyer himself, who's fired, who's fired Michael Halley. Well, we don't know where that money is coming from. The lawyer that he now has, Daniel Mancha, is, is well known as, as a former Janel chairperson. And it's not Manchancha, okay? It's not Manchancha, <laughs> which is like Mancha. As long as, that's, as long as that's clear, we'll be back after this break. Yeah, all the people watching the transcribe. Right, welcome back to Venal South Africa. Um, uh, Sikhanati, your column in this week's uh, FM um, headline essays, Gangster Paradise, you make the point that McKinsey, the, the uber boss of McKinsey's been in the country, right? His name is uh, Kevin Sneeder. Um, and they've given back to ESCOM about 900 and something uh, million rand uh, of the 1.6 billion that they were given, half of which or some of which they passed on to Trillion, as we know. Um, uh, but making a genuinely heartfelt apology, no? Um, about uh, uh, how they shouldn't have done it, et cetera, et cetera. They've got a new way now of, re you know, dealing with uh, state-owned companies. You, on the other hand, will have none of that. Um, and you say that ESCOM has uh, allowed McKinsey to pocket a large part of the 1.6 billion effectively uh, because ESCOM's management now says it is content with receiving only 902 million rand back. And that's a bit harsh. I mean, 902 million rand is quite there, a lot of money. There's <laughs> nothing harsh about that. Let, let, let's, make this, let's make this point. Mackenzie, in a letter, says to ESCOM, give a third of that money to our friends there, the Guptas, yeah. uh, trillion capital. Yeah. And Mackenzie themselves take 902 million rand. Mm. Interest started accruing to them. From that day, they received the money, be it trillion or be it Mackenzie. Now, Mackenzie has conceded that it, had, it was not entitled to a cent of the cash, which is why it returned it. Where is the interest in all of that money? 
my calculations at the prime lending rate of 10% over two years, that's 320 million rands that has been given away to Mackenzie. In addition to the, to the, to the 698 million rands that was given on, at, Mackenzie, at Mackenzie's behest to trillion. Yeah. So right now, Mackenzie still owes the people of South Africa a billion rand. Yeah. And, and why would ESCOM, now ESCOM has got And a that was not a heartfelt apology, by the way. It was just a lot of nonsense and hot air. Yeah. So ESCOM has a new board. It's tough-minded. They're going to clean up. It's a sore Amaposa. It's the first thing he did on becoming president was appoint a new board of ESCOM in order to save it. What has happened to um, Jabu Mabuza? He runs the board. He's a good guy. He's, we all hold him in high regard. Why would he accept half of what McKinsey owes ESCOM? Absolutely brilliant move, Cyril and, uh, and Praveen, and they made by appointing the new board and management of ESCOM. However, Jabu Mabuza was patting himself together with management on the back for getting the 900 million rands back from McKinsey. I have asked them, and I'm still going to ask them, where is the other billion rand? They cannot be satisfied giving away a billion rand to Mackenzie, which, by the way, they, they, they were in on the theft. Let's 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 just be frank here. One point six billion rand was stolen from Escom by Mackenzie, by the the thieves that used to work at Escom, and by Trillion. It was stolen. They have only returned nine hundred million rand, can I just and that is why I'm saying yeah. they are running an organised crime operation in South Africa, money laundering. Joanna Maria, I mean, if if you were offered if you were offered nine hundred and two and and you were offered 902 million rand, would you say, no, 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 keep it until you pay me the whole lot back? No, I'll take it. But I will, I, I mean, I think ESCOM really bent over backwards to thank McKinsey, which I also think, I think Gennady makes a valid point. It's, yeah. you know, where is the interest? But I think more importantly, where is the criminal charges? And I think that brings us back to the NPA. I mean, this is a criminal matter and we're not seeing, we're not seeing ESCOM chasing what? trillion. We're well, not seeing NPA chasing yeah. the trillion. The deal that was done, the NPA explicitly says, don't think because you're paying back this money, you're going to not potentially face prosecution. Right. And we know that at one stage they were attempting to do do a Section 204 witness deal with uh, McKinsey in relation to the trillion matter that they would give evidence. But of course, McKinsey is a global firm. If they take a 204 deal, they explicitly, you know, they they basically admitting they were complicit in in money laundering at very least and criminal activity. So they're trying to skirt a, an issue where the reputational damage to them of this whole saga. I mean, it was in the New York Times. Yeah. There was a huge article uh, on McKinsey yep. dropping the ball massively mm. in terms of this whole thing mm. and the implications of that. So McKinsey is desperate to try and redeem itself reputationally because the reputational damage that being attached to a criminal matter in South Africa will have for them will be profound. Um, but by the same token, it does not appear that, for instance, in terms of the 204 negotiations, which Kevin Sneeder has denied knowledge of, of course, he's been in the job for seven days, so what yeah. can one expect? Yeah. Um, you know, if they are really serious about wanting to be seen, to be actually actively attempting to root out this kind of criminal nefariousness within state-owned mm. enterprises, then they need to play open cards and they need to agree to be a witness and say, this is what happened, this is exactly does what the, Does the NPA have enough intellectual clout to make them to, 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 to drag a big company like McKinsey um, to the point where it understands what it has to do. I mean, are there the prosecutors inside the NPA to frighten the life out of McKinsey? Ask Barry Tannenbaum. 
Yeah, so you, you guys know this a lot more than I have. I've been out of the country for a long time. But it looks to me, from what I've read, that that trillion did not even have a contract with ESCOM. Yeah. yeah. So like, that's all out in the public domain. Even in some. Yeah, like, it's all in the public domain. They were vehement. I mean, Sikonati will remember. There were vehement attacks on the journalists who had Susan Comrie, who was doing the story. She doesn't know what she's talking about. They there was not honesty from the beginning, and in fact, there were there was. I mean, you remember. Still no honesty today. There's still no honesty today. So in this the is no, with McKinsey, yes, they enough. denied it. But does it make, do, are there are there prosecutors smart enough in the NPA to to, to nail McKinsey or Trillian or any of the guys who stole yeah. money? And well, remember that they got that forfeiture, they got that preservation order, yeah. and they sat on it. Yeah. And when they went to the curator, went to look for the money in Trillian's accounts, like months later, yeah. guess what? It was gone. And I think that was a big problem. But was that they deliberate? Was that, was that I deliberate? Don't know if it was, I don't know if it was deliberate. I think they are good prosecutors in that team. I know a lot of the prosecutors in the state capture team, but it could be a mixture of just, you know, that, that, there, is an, you know, that there is a competence issue there. They got humiliated with the Estina thing. Yes. They are not appealing that judgment. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, I don't know. The, no, no, the, the NPA here is supporting itself deliberately. Remember, there's still the political matters, and we, we spoke about them earlier when we were talking about Nomkobojiba. Mm. Sean Abrams knows only too well that he should not be there. That case, the whole state capture case, is being sabotaged deliberately from within the NPA. It's not a question of lack of skills. It's, it's, it's the question of do we or don't we want to do this? And, and we now know for the past uh, eight years they have been refusing to do their job. That has not changed. Yeah. That will only change when that guy, Cyril Ramaphosa, does his own job, which is lead and put the people who can do the job in the position they should be doing. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like he does have to follow the legal process, doesn't he? I, mean, I don't he, know, maybe he, he doesn't. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, we do have a, a, a if he wants law. To, I mean, does he, ha I mean, does he have to, uh, Cyril, does the South African president who has the power to appoint all these people not have the power to fire them? Well, this, he, remember he, the Constitutional Court is still making a determination on the validity of Sean Abrams' appointment. Yeah. They've been sitting on that case since the 28th of February. Why? We don't know. I mean, the, the Constitutional Court has a three-month rule in terms of making judgments. We've seen a similar kind of uh, tendency in terms of the Sasa matter, which is obviously also quite a politically loaded matter. But it's, it's, it's highly problematic that, you know, all these months later, we still don't know if the person who is leading the NPA is there validly or not. And while we drag our heels, I see that, um, I think it's in today's paper. Yes, here we go. Um, SAA, which was telling us not a week ago, that it was busy with another turnaround plan and, and, you know, it had all these things in place. And I remember Carol Payton wrote a very nice piece. I think she saw the new uh, CEO, Vuyani Jahana, um, and he had lots of, sort of, lots of plans. And now suddenly, out of the blue, we are now in an urgent hunt for an equity partner. How did that happen, Luke? I mean, is that, where does that, out of what... Boiling I mean, pot, does that come? I mean, it, it's, I mean, this came out really strangely as well. I mean, I only heard about it yesterday afternoon, and seemingly it was an undertaking made to solidarity. And like, you know, they, 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 they had this process where they're trying to put SAA into some kind of business rescue process. Right. As you said, that, that this was not on the agenda last week. I mean, they were talking about needing to get the airline into some kind of shape before they. they All did. it would take is one creditor to demand repayment of whatever, right? And mm -hmm. SAA is gone. Mm -hmm. 
necessarily because no. uh, uh, the, 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 the taxpayer, you and I, are standing behind SAA, mm -hmm. which is still why it's, it's flying. Uh, the, the government will not, for, for some odd reason, will not, will not allow SAA to be a proper company or to die if it can't be a proper company. Yeah. And this sudden need and, and, and hunt for an equity partner is not so sudden. Pravin Goran became finance minister and then got fired and then became finance minister. Yeah. The first time he became finance minister, he told us he would get an equity partner. Yeah. That was how many There's not years a very ago. long queue, presumably. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> I can imagine. But then I suppose, when I mean, you're talking about a big company that probably has good assets, that's somebody who can actually run it efficiently, maybe can do a good job of it. I mean, if you look at airlines across the world, I mean, go, go look at BA, like, look, look at what that was like yeah. before it got privatized, sure. and look, look what it is now. So yeah. there's, there's no reason to think SAA cannot have a future, but the, the, I don't know why that future has to involve the state. I mean, this obsession yeah. that you have to have an airline. But it, but it is, it is interesting because I mean, there are you know, airlines around the world are doing really well at the moment. I mean, it's it's a it's a booming business. SAA is an out, is a is a sort of an outlier in 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 in, in the big airline business respect. Not uh, so well. Yeah, I was telling us about earlier about the the airline, the National Indian Airline. Yeah. Uh, they've been trying to find a, an equity partner to take only 25% of the shares yes. and list the rest with the state holding on to about 25%, yeah. am I correct? They are not finding uh, investors. And, and uh, I, would, I don't know if any government can be as bad as we are, uh, but uh, India seems to me to know where it's going and what yeah. it wants to do. SAA, the, 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 the biggest problem there is the involvement of the government. The political interference that comes in there, uh, I, I don't see any investor would, who. You mean they're in in terms of finding an equity partner? Yes. So they would want to find somebody that they were sort of ideologically comfortable with. Yeah. Or financially and and what what yeah. investor in their right mind that needs to uh, for sure to save yeah. uh, to make money will very get involved quickly, in a deal. Very quickly, also before we 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 end, um, VBS Bank. I mean the the the, the looting has is, is so unsophisticated. It's been quite remarkable to read. Mm. Reports of it. Um, uh, what happens to what? Ha what happens to those guys, Jana? I mean, is is or Karen? I mean, d why didn't somebody just get arrested for goodness' sake? I mean, it's just so so gross. Yeah, I think the the concerning thing for me about VBS is is that all the checks and balances that are put in place to try and prevent something like this happening. Yeah. You know, the reason you have auditors, you have regular reporting yeah. to the Reserve Bank, and all these regulatory oversight mechanisms failed. And 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 I think that's the for me. I mean, the loot, the scale of the looting and the blatancy of it is is absolutely shocking. The fact that nobody's been arrested is also shocking. But you also have to wonder. You know, how did the order to sign off on these things that get submitted to the Reserve Bank? Karen, Karen are, are there uh, when in terms of arresting people, obviously it's the police that do that. I mean, are they, are the Hawks, do the Hawks have any capacity to investigate the it's financial it's crime? Remember with the Prasa matter, you know, that we had this extraordinary uh, situation where Paul Pomalefe actually brought an application yeah. against the Hawks to compel them to act on evidence that had been provided by private attorneys firm, yeah. Baxman's attorneys, yeah. detailed forensic analysis, a total paper trail, here's where the money went, here's what's happened. Yeah. They didn't really even have to do anything. And what is concerning is that 
we have seen this pattern happening within the corporate environment and its SOE environment for quite some time. Attorneys for firms, whether it's Denel, whether it's Prasa, whether it's some degree ESCOM, are bought in, do these detailed forensic investigations, hand them over to the Hawks and the NPA, and nothing happens. Yeah. Now, I've spoken to people within the Hawks and the NPA, and the Hawks themselves have raised questions about the legitimacy of that kind of evidence. But in a situation where you have a state that is seemingly incapable of doing sophisticated financial uh, investigations and companies and SOEs and state the state mm. itself is increasingly outsourcing that competency to law firms at huge amounts of money or to or to KPMG yes there we go anyway listen thank you very much for joining us when we see you again either England or France will be um, uh, uh, will, will be in control or have in their hands the World Soccer World Cup uh, that's my prediction for tonight <laughs>